Good morning. There's a lot of you guys in here. So today is kind of a memory lane trip for me. Uh, for those of you that do not know me, which is probably 90% of you, my name is Benjamin Pinkerton, and I used to work here at Grace Bible Church uh, as a fellow in the youth and Club 56 ministry, specifically here at Creekside. I think I actually have a photo for you guys. So this photo was taken the week before we did our first service here at Pebble Creek uh, in a retreat with the original staff. So you see some of us up there. Um, The reason I show you that photo, because some of you maybe have just started coming, maybe haven't been here from the beginning. And the reason I show you that photo is because from from the get-go, I remember, and some of you know Matt Morton, he, uh, he's very analytical, right? And so he sends us an email before the retreat. He's like, hey, we're going to have a blast. We're going to have some freedom, some peace. We're going to have some retreat. I got homework for you guys. And so this homework included some questions, like essay four, and we come and we got to discuss these different questions. But in those questions, it was trying to vision cast, where do we want to go in the future? here at Grace Bible Church, specifically with Creekside. Why are we creating Creekside? What's the overall vision? What do we want every person that comes through the doors to know, to walk away from? How do we want them to live in a manner that is worthy of the calling that Jesus has given them? And so I remember this clearly because Matt said, okay, here's the three things we want our people to know, to understand, and to walk in as a believer in Jesus. We want you to love God, we want you to love people, and we want you to make disciples. A couple years back, I gave a sermon on discipleship cycles and multiplying yourself, but also we see in Matthew 22, a man comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, what is the greatest commandment? How do we sum up everything that was said in all of the laws, in the Mosaic law, all the way in the Old Testament, How do we sum that up? What's the greatest one that I can follow and try and really hit that mark? And Jesus said, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. And so that was what we originally started Creekside thinking. This is what we want to be true of ourselves and of everyone that comes to the door. We want to love God. And in the process of loving God, guess what? He changes our hearts and allows us to love people with his love, not with our earthly love, but with this agape, unconditional, sacrificial love. And then when you love people, guess what? You're obviously going to multiply disciples that know Jesus Christ because he is the life that we're seeking. So the reason that uh, we've been going through these character studies throughout the Old Testament, uh, this summer specifically, we can glean a lot of different information and we can make it a history lesson. We can learn from their life and their process and their ministry. We can look at their successes and their failures. We can say, man, those are the things that I aspire to do because I know they are representing Christ in the way that they do them. Or sometimes we say, man, that was not what we're supposed to do. Like, Try and pawn your wife off as your sister. I shouldn't do that, right? That's those sorts of things. We look at these characters and we say, all right, I can learn from them. And hopefully they give us a better picture of what it means to walk in faithful obedience to Jesus Christ. Now, this is a pretty impactful message for me because uh, I did youth ministry here, did Club 56. When I was a junior in high school, um, 
kind of embarrassing. You know how how a uh, preaching pastor, that's, that's what I want to do is preach. And I can really remember only like three or four sermons in my entire life. <laughs> and so it's kind of sad knowing like preaching sermons and people probably remember like three or four sermons in their entire life. But I remember one sermon my junior year of high school that really, I feel like changed their trajectory and gave me the direction that allowed me to go and decide to come to A&M and go into ministry, do crew, come to Grace Bible Church, and now in seminary in Dallas Theological and uh, it was over this character, King Josiah. And King Josiah, as I, as I listened to my youth pastor talk about him, I realized, man, Josiah, who was eight years old and became king over Judah in a very turbulent time period, created such great reformation, created such longing for Jesus because he decided to purge the idolatry and the evil in the nation and allowed people to worship God, the true God, Yahweh. Right? And so in that process, I said, you know what? That's exactly what I want to be like. I want to be a man that no matter if anyone's following me, I'm going towards the cross with the world behind me. And that's what I want for you guys. As we study Josiah, we say no matter how old you are, how young you are, how far away from God you feel like you might be, you're not. And in fact, God wants to use every single one of you. So this is kind of a description of King Josiah. It's found in 2 Kings 23. Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did with all his heart and with all his soul and with all his strength in accordance with the law of Moses. I bet a lot of us at the end of our life, if someone described us and that's how they described us, we'd be like, we did pretty good. Like, that's awesome. That, That is something to aspire to. So, Obviously, I've chosen a character that did things pretty well. Like, I could have gone with a character that was really a negative, and we could talk about how not to live life. Josiah, I feel like, for the most part, great example for us guys. And so, uh, going down this memory lane path again, I have this chart. You will not be able to read that. I understand. But I put it up here because this is a timeline that I had to make when I was in the fellows program for Blake Jennings, who asked, hey, I want you to give a timeline of all the kings of the divided kingdom all the way through the Old Testament. The reason I put it up there is because I know that these slides actually will go online. And so if you're interested in looking at a timeline and kind of seeing which prophets were prophesying to which kingdom at which time period, this is useful. But I'm going to give you a little backdrop before Josiah comes on the scene because it's important to know what is the climate, what is the culture, what is Judah at this time period when King Josiah comes onto the throne. Now Solomon reigned, but as we know, he started to follow a lot of idols. Right? He's the son of King David. This awesome man of God was given this Davidic promise. They said, hey, there's going to be a guy that comes from your line who's going to be the Messiah. He's going to reign on an eternal throne with power from your line and your obedience. And then the next son, or his son Solomon, man, he, he's very wise, right? We see that God gives him wisdom. He gets wealthy, but then he starts to pursue other gods and he leads his entire nation into idolatry. And he chases things that are not of the Lord. So whenever he dies, after taxing all of his people, his son comes on the throne, Rehoboam. Well, Rehoboam falls in the footsteps of Solomon and decides, you know what? I'm going to tax people too. We need money. And that, plus a lot of other things, destroys the nation to where the nation of Israel splits into two kingdoms. The northern kingdom, 10 tribes. The southern kingdom of Judah was the tribe of Benjamin and the tribe of Judah, right? 
But we know already that one of those nations is doomed. We know that Israel's doomed. Why is that? Because the Davidic promise was to David and to his line. And the line of David was through Solomon and then through Rehoboam, who went to the southern kingdom. It's a lot of history backdrop, but we need to know as we're moving forward, okay, there's now two nations. There's the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. Well, the northern kingdom, all their kings evil, every single one of them. You can read them through Second King, you can read them through the Kings and the Chronicles. They're all bad, as in they don't follow the ways of Yahweh. They worship other gods and they lead their nation into a downfall of idolatry and wickedness. And you can't read that right there. But in 722 BC, the northern kingdom of Israel falls. Assyria takes it over. In fact, God judges the entire nation of Israel, the ten tribes, because of their wickedness by having Assyria take them over and hold them captive. And the southern kingdom, they've got a couple good kings, right? Not very many. They still all are pretty much screw-ups. They're not very good examples for us, but there's a couple. And one comes along named Hezekiah, who creates reform, and he's a good guy, and he's pursuing the Lord and wanting people to know God and to destroy the wickedness that they'd been worshiping. But he dies, and his son comes on the scene named Manasseh. Manasseh was very wicked to the point that he sacrificed his own children on altars to other gods. He actually took out the Torah or following the commands of God out of the temples. He created places for people to worship other gods. Very evil. He reigned 55 years, a very long time in this nation. His son, Amon, comes on the scene after he dies. In two years' time, he's assassinated because he's also wicked like his father. And he's evil and his own temple people kill him. And that's when we get to Josiah. Josiah becomes king at the age of eight because his father was assassinated and his grandfather was the most wicked king that ever came through Judah. So I want you to imagine that. Eight years old, the sins in your family, knowing your father was murdered because of his wicked evilness and your grandfather sacrificed his own kids and had other people worship other gods. If anyone ever had an excuse to play the victim card, to say, you know what? The cards that have been handed me are pretty rough. I'm just going to do my own thing. God's not good, X, Y, Z. It'd probably be Josiah. And what could we expect from an eight-year-old that comes on the scene in a very wicked time period where the Torah has been taken out, the Bible, Deuteronomy, the laws, how to follow and pursue the Lord God have been taken out of the entire nation. No one knows how to follow God. What can this young boy do? Well, Jeroboam was the first king of the northern kingdom when they split, Rehoboam and Jeroboam. And we talk about God's faithfulness no matter what. We talk about how God has a plan for your life. And a lot of us are like, really? Everyone says that so cliche. God has a wonderful plan for your life, right? I hear that all the time. Do I really believe that God knows me and has a plan for my life? I want you to see this. This was in 940 BC, roughly 300 years before Josiah is born in the kingdom of Judah to become king. A man comes to Jeroboam, who's the first king in Israel, and he's bad, and he's worshiping other guys. He creates altars to worship these guys. And what does it say? By the word of the Lord, a man of God came from Judah, came from the southern kingdom, the brand new southern kingdom to the brand new northern kingdom, as Jeroboam the king was standing by the altar to make an offering. Now by the word of the Lord, this man of God cries out, not against Jeroboam, get it? He cries out against the altar, which is very interesting. And he says, altar, altar, 
This is what the Lord says. A son named Josiah will be born to the house of David. On you, altar, he will sacrifice the priests of the high places, the place to worship other gods who make offerings here. And human bones will be burned on you. This was very interesting. I found this recently. I was like, oh my goodness. Like God's plan, kingdom divided, and immediately a prophecy says that there will be a reformation that will come through a man named Josiah from the line of David. So not even in this kingdom of Israel, but the southern kingdom of Judah. So Josiah obviously is is a big deal. But the point is that God does have a plan. And no matter that it seems like everything's going going downward, spiraling into evil wickedness, God has a plan. So if you want to turn, we'll be in 2 Chronicles 34. This is where the story of Josiah is kind of played out. 2 Chronicles 34 and 35. We're going to kind of move through the very beginning, skip to the end. I'll fill out the details in between because we don't have time to read two chapters. So it starts 2 Chronicles 34, verses 1 and 2. Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And he reigned in Jerusalem, Jerusalem, 31 years. He did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father, David, turning aside, not turning aside to the right or to the left, which is an idiom for he followed on that straight and narrow path. He did not walk in the ways of his wicked father, Ammon. He did not walk in the ways of his wicked father, Manasseh, but he walked in the line of his ancestor, Hezekiah and David. So that's how we see his character immediately starting off. So today, as we study Josiah, we see his life again, not just a history lesson, even though I think this character is awesome, obviously. And I think teaching your kids, teaching youth, teaching people like, man, no matter how young you are, God can use you in a mighty way. Awesome story. But I want us to be able to not just say, okay, this is a cool character, but how can I walk in light of the knowledge of his life? So I actually wrote out the process of Josiah. As I look through Second Chronicles 34 and 35, I see a process of his kingship that we can study and hopefully emulate. And that will allow us to be faithful to the calling of our life, to walk with the Lord Jesus Christ, to be faithful to what God has called us to, and to make an impact. The first thing I see in Josiah and it's going to be in verse 3, is that he seeks God. Notice he doesn't purge evil first. He doesn't build good first. He doesn't walk well first. He seeks God. In verse 3, in the eighth year of his reign, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his ancestor David. In his twelfth year, he began ridding Judah and Jerusalem of the high places, Asherah, poles, idols, and images. Now, you probably can't see the seek is in purple, But again, it's that idea of Josiah set his mind to follow the ways of his ancestor, David. And that started with seeking God. He had to actually seek God, had to look for God, had to try and understand how to walk in the ways of his his great, great, great grandfather to the, I think, 18th David and say, okay, I want to follow in his footsteps, following this God that gave him comfort and allowed him to walk so faithfully, being such a great king. That's what I want to do. He had to seek God. So there is a level of, I need to try and seek after God, the things of God. Who is God? What is his plan for my life? But the second thing he does after seeking God, and I think it really flows well in our life, is that he purges evil. 
Now, a lot of times I do think, so I'm, I'm a CrossFit coach in Dallas, and I know if you're in CrossFit, you always talk about CrossFit, but as a CrossFit coach in Dallas, when I'm talking with people, like, hey, you should come and do CrossFit, they typically say, and I'm not kidding, this is the biggest reason that I get that you can't do CrossFit. Besides, like, you're talking about that fitness cult, and they're all crazy, no, I'm not doing that. But more of, they say something along the lines of, yeah, yeah, okay, I'll join you. Let me get in shape first. I'm going to start running and working out so that then I can come and do CrossFit with you guys. And for me, that kind of blows my mind because that sounds so backwards to me. And maybe not, to, you're like, if it's about comparison, then I look bad, whatever it is. But the reality is to try and get in shape so that then you can go to a gym doesn't make much sense. And I think that's the exact same thing with us in our Christian walk. A lot of the times we think that we can't walk with God. We can't do the things of God. We can't see God until we first clean out the crud in our lives. We say, okay, well, I got to stop cussing and I got to stop doing all these extra other things, all these bad things that make me not Christ-like. I'll do those and then I'll be able to really get more involved in Christian community. I'll, I'll get more involved in reading the Bible. I'll get more involved in trying to know God personally. But, but I can't approach a God whenever, whenever I have all this mess in my life. Same thing. Same thing. It doesn't make any sense. Unless we're the ones creating the change in our lives. We're the ones that are actually making us produce Christ-likeness. Which, hint, it's not us. It's the Spirit. So really, I love the order of events here. In fact, if you look back in 3, again, it says he seeks God. And then it's a natural progression to where he starts to purge evil. So verses 4 through 7. He ordered the altars of the Baals to be torn down and broke the incense altars that were above them. He smashed the Asherah poles, idols and images, crushed them up and sprinkled the dust over the tombs of those who had sacrificed to them. Remember that prophecy. He burned the bones of the pagan priests on their altars. He purified Judah and Jerusalem and the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim and Simeon as far as Naphtali and in the ruins around them. He tore down the altars and Asherah poles, demolished the idols and smashed all the incense altars throughout the land of Israel. Then he returned to Jerusalem. There's a couple things to note in this paragraph, but one for me, when I read it, I felt like it was in a comic book. Because if you notice the words that is used, he's very passionate about purging evil. He tore down, he broke, he smashed, he crushed, he burned, he demolished, he smashed, he tore. The dude is going Hulk smash, destroying all sorts of idolatrous ways and evil worship. Right? He's like, okay, but get it. He seeks God, and then God starts to reveal to him the things that are not of God. And then he has to make a reformation. I want to destroy the things that are leading people away from God, and I want to then pursue God. The second thing that I notice about this is that you notice he burned the bones of the pagan priests. He purified Judah and Jerusalem, but then it goes on to say, in the cities of Manasseh, Ephraim, Simeon, Naphtali. Guess where those cities are? If we remember the tribes split into the northern and southern kingdom. So in fact, Josiah got so amped up about the glory of the Lord and the opportunity to worship only him that he actually traveled to the northern kingdom who, remember, 80 years previous, Assyria had taken them over. So that's dangerous. So not only is like, I'm going to clear all this land, my personal land, as the, as the king of Judah, I'm going to destroy the, uh, the idolatry and the, and the Asherah poles and all of that, I'm going to go into the northern kingdom and I'm going to continue to destroy. I'm going to purge evil to give everyone in the midst 
the opportunity to know only Yahweh. Very interesting to note. And maybe for us, we can think about that. Where's the application? All right, and we're going to build into that. But thinking about, okay, seek God, purging evil, not just maybe in my own sphere, but maybe walking with people, loving people well enough, caring about people enough to where, what's the things that are tearing people down and distracting them from walking with the Lord Jesus? The third thing I see directly after, so again, these flow together. He seeks God. In the process of seeking God, he sees the things that are evil and he wants to purge them. But in the process, guess what? There's holes in our life when we purge evil. When we take things out of our life that are not of God, guess what? There are gaping holes and we'll only fill those holes with something else that will satisfy. And thank God that he created us as creatures who desire. I don't know if you knew this, but everything that we do is really just flowing out of our desire to, for something. And so in reality, God has already created in us the response to know, I want something that the earth cannot provide. I am searching constantly, seeking a desire that is not attainable, not in sports, not in relationships, not in career, not in my kids, all those things. I can pursue it for so long, but eventually it runs dry. We are creatures of desire seeking a perfect kingdom and shalom and perfect peace without the effects of sin and death. And God created us that way. So that is awesome. But the problem is when we clear out evil in our life, we're going to try and replace it with something else. And so the hope is that in those places of our life, we build structures and we strategically think about, if I'm going to take this out of my life, if I'm not going to spend a lot of my time doing this anymore, I have to fill that time with something else. And it's going to be filled. So why, do not, why will I not fill it with something that is good? He builds good. Jumping all the way, or still in 34.8. In the 18th year of his reign, he continued his policy. So, eight years old. And then later he's 16 when he really starts walking with the Lord. And then in the 18th year, he's now 26. It says he continued his policy of purifying the evil, purifying the land and the temple. He sent, get ready for these fun names, Shaphan, son of Azalea, Maasiah, the city official, and Joah, son of Joaz, the secretary, to repair the temple of the Lord, his God. So again, the reality is that not only does he purge evil and destroy these high places and the altars and the poles, but then he says, I want to rebuild. I want to construct a place that people can again connect with God in the temple of the living God. So he has to fill that space in his life with something that is good. And as king, he represents all of his people and he gives them the opportunity to connect with God. So the first thing he says is, I'm purifying and now I'm building up. The last thing we see, and this is at the very end of chapter 34, again, jumping through, is that he walks well. I love that it says he continued this policy of purging evil because it's not yet completed. And in our lives, all throughout our life, we will uh, consistently have to do this cycle of purging evil, building good, walking well, finding other places as we see God that are not of God, purging the evil, building good, walking well. So you see in verse 33, he walked well. He made all who were in Jerusalem and Benjamin agree to it. The residents of Jerusalem acted in accordance with the covenant of God, the God of their ancestors. 
Josiah removed all the detestable idols from all the areas belonging to the Israelites and encouraged all who were in Israel to worship the Lord their God. Throughout the rest of his reign, they did not turn aside from following the Lord God of their ancestors. Now we have to remember what was the climate like before Josiah came on the scene. Right? So I jumped through that chapter and we're coming back, but they actually, as they're building up the temple of God, they find the book of the law. They find the, the, the Mosaic covenant. They find the laws that were required to walk with God well. So he comes to the end and it says, okay, he made that covenant. He said, okay, we're all going to walk in this way. And you see the verbs they use. They agree to it. They acted in it. And sometimes we just simply have to agree, I'm going to follow the Lord even when it's hard, and I'm going to act in this way. So this nation that was completely corrupt did not even have the Bible. Eight-year-old comes on the scene and decides to follow the Lord, and you see what God can do through one individual. That they rebuild the temple, and they clear out the evil, and we'll see in chapter 35 that he actually instates Passover again. So... Lessons from Josiah's life. And this is pretty sweet. So again, we're looking back at 34. But when Josiah decides, okay, I've purged the evil and I'm going to build up what is good, in that time, in that period, he finds the book of the law. When they took out the silver that had been brought to the Lord's temple, Hilkiah the priest found the law scroll the Lord had given to Moses. When the king heard the words of the Lord's scroll, he tore his clothes. When we talk about King David and we say, man, David was such a man after God's own heart, that's confusing to a lot of us because if we study the life of David, he did a lot of wrong things too, like murder and other things, right? Not very good things that we wouldn't want any of our kids or ourselves to do. And yet it says in the Bible that David got this covenant saying through you, this line of Messiah will be born and that you're a man after God's own heart. What made David so special that he would be considered the man after God's own heart. I think that Josiah is described as following his father, his ancestor David, in this exact same way. When David was confronted with his sin, and when Josiah were confronted with their sin, they humbled themselves. They tore their clothes, which is an act of repentance, and say, I've obviously screwed up against God. I've obviously sinned to a point that did not really represent who I am in Christ Jesus. That's for us. That's to say, okay, what does it mean to be a person after God's own heart? It means that I'm humble. It means that I want to know God's will. And whenever I find out God's will, I'm like, all right, that's obviously what I have not been doing. And I will repent. I will seek community. I will try and walk well and faithfully. So when Josiah was seeking the Lord's will, when he was concerned of the things of God, as I have in that first lesson, when he's concerned for the things of God to build what is good, the temple of God so that people could worship, that's when he found and discovered God's will, the word of God. There's a great lesson in that for us. A lot of times I get this question, and I've heard this question many times, what's God's will for my life? Like, like such a generic question. Like, yeah, let me tell you exactly God's will for your life. But the cool thing is this. That God actually has given us all his will for our lives. And guess what it is? Love God, love people, make disciples, right? But it just depends on what sphere you're in. 
the people that you can come into contact with, your experiences, your relationships, your abilities and strengths and skills and personality, your passions, all of those different things God has given you personally and given you those relationships and those fears and that job with those, those kids, all of those different things. But God has still said, this is my will for your life. Love God, love people, make disciples. But as we seek the will of God and as we're concerned to walk in his ways, that's when we will discover, okay, this is how I respond to my child in this moment to reflect God because I'm thinking about it. I'm thinking about what is the will of God in this moment. I care about the things of God. The second lesson, the second lesson is that it replaces idolatry with worship. And this really hits again on that theme of as, des- as creatures of desire who care and pursue the things that will most satisfy us God is the only one that will most satisfy us. He created us that way. But the reality is if we do not fill the places that we replace that idolatry with, it will just be another form of idolatry. It will just be another thing, earthly, worldly, temporary. That's what we will find. So the example could be, man, in in high school for me was sports. I chased sports and gymnastics. Right? And so I, that's all I cared about, and I wanted to be successful. But when I got to the top, and I finished it off, and it was over, it was like, oh man, that was my life. What am I going to do now? And I decided to throw in something else, whether that's success at A&M and the Corps of Cadets. Okay, what, what else can I chase to fill those holes, to find satisfaction and purpose and identity? That's consistently what you will do, unless you fill those places with the things of God. I want to pursue God first. My identity as the son or daughter of God is more important than anything else. So replacing idolatry with worship. And we see that in chapter 35. Josiah institutes the great Passover, a great party. Josiah is just like, all right, we're going to throw a party for Jesus. We're going to instate the Passover again. And for those of you that don't know, the Passover is kind of like what we do when we do communion. We remember back to the life of Jesus and his sacrifice on the cross for us and our sins and his victory raising from the dead that we might have life. Well, the people, the Israelites were saved from Egypt, from from being slaves to Pharaoh and God rescued them out of that. And so when they did Passover, they would sacrifice the blood of a lamb And they would remember back to God's faithfulness to them. Regardless of their situations and circumstances, they would look back and say, God is faithful. He saved us from slavery. And so Josiah at this time period, they have not done Passover in a long, long time. And this is the best Passover as stated. A Passover like this had not been observed in Israel since the days of Samuel the prophet, which is way before the divided kingdom. None of the kings of Israel had observed a Passover like the one celebrated by Josiah. So let's say it twice to really emphasize it. The priests, the Levites, all the people of Judah and Israel who were there and the residents of Jerusalem. This Passover was observed in the 18th year of Josiah's reign. I love that picture. That not only are we going to destroy and purge the evil, but I'm going to give y'all an opportunity to worship, to understand that we can look back and remember God's faithfulness. And so that's how we fill those places of evil, the places in our lives that aren't walking with the Lord 
Whether it's just wasting our time or it's straight up going against what God has called us to do in the Bible. But instead, filling those places with worship. So I encourage you, as we think through these lessons and applications, as we think through, okay, Josiah's life, he replaces idolatry with worship. The places in my life that I think are probably not walking with the Lord well, reflecting who Jesus is. If I'm going to get rid of those things, I got to have a plan. I got to think through, okay, obviously I'm seeking God. I see the evil. I want to purge it. But I've got to fill that place with worship, with true worship, whatever that looks like. Spending time in community, walking well with the Lord in prayer. I remember when I was a freshman at AM, it was my first week in the core, and I was crying every night. Just let's, let's put it out there. I was so like beat up every night. And I remember going that Sunday, I left all my buddies. I had one buddy that was a believer, none of my upperclassmen were believers. And I remember hearing there was a church across the street from the quad where the core is at called Grace Bible Anderson. And I walk in, I'm like, okay, I don't know what I'm doing here. And I see this, this man up on the stage named Matt Morton. And I remember listening to him and realizing like the message that he brought was about walking like the song we sang, walking towards the cross, regardless of who's following behind us, regardless of the world, regardless of our circumstances and situations. I just remember that message because I was like, this is where I'm supposed to be. I tell you that because God met me in that moment as a freshman at A&M coming to Grace Bible, which sent this trajectory forward. And God wants to also meet you where you're at. And so maybe the opportunity is, okay, this is a great place to be, a great community where I can seek God, I can worship him faithfully, especially in the places of my life that maybe aren't lining up. And I want to commit to that. And this really does lead into the third and the last lesson. Maybe, unless it goes black on us. Lesson from Josiah's life number three. This is the big one. You're never too young, you're never too old, you're never too far away from God to begin a life of faithfulness. I worded it that way specifically because some of us do believe in Jesus. Some of us have a relationship with God, but maybe we have not been walking faithfully with him. But some of us maybe in this room haven't heard or haven't understood or haven't decided to follow Jesus, haven't decided to say, God, you, Jesus, you are the king of my heart and I will follow you regardless of where life takes me. And so we know, just as in the Passover, again, looked back at the faithfulness of God, we too, in this time period, we get to look back and see Jesus Christ, the Son of God, who was God, came to earth. He came to earth, and in the process, he wanted to become that Davidic king. He's going to be the Messiah that had been prophesied all the way from Genesis 3, all the way from the Abrahamic covenant, all the way to the Mosaic covenant, Davidic covenant. And now we get to this time period. The Messiah comes on the scene. Jesus, born in a stable, born as a baby in filth. And we see his life of humility and sacrifice. And then we see, what does he do? They reject him and they kill him. They put him on a cross, the most humiliating, horrifying death, painful death as a spectacle for the world to say, this is your king. Look at your king now. And he died and he bled out. But then in three days, he rose again. He rose again in power showing he was actually the Messiah. He was actually God and he was or did have the power and the ability to destroy sin and death forever. And so we now, if we say, you know what? 
That is what I want. And I do want a life that has purpose and eternal meaning and focus on God who created all things. And I'm tired of living this life that is so whimsical based on the, the, the crashes and consequences of different things in this life. But instead, I need something solid. Jesus is that solid foundation we get to put our hope and our faith in. And maybe you're hearing this like, I've heard all that before. And guess what? I go to church all the time and I hear, you know, Jesus loves me and he did all those things and I have followed him. And maybe you haven't followed him. I just encourage you, you are not too far away. You are not, your circumstances do not define you. I don't care if your entire family does not believe in God. I don't care the situations you find yourself in. God is able to save and to bring you into knowledge of him and then to give you a life of meaning and purpose. And if you are a believer, I do encourage you. How can I start to seek God more? How can I then be seeing with my eyes open the things that are not of God? How can I build well so that I can reflect who Jesus is and what he means to me? That I want to be as passionate about Jesus as as Jesus is passionate about me, that he would die for me on that cross. So that's my hope for you guys. I also really encourage you, if you have any kids, if you've got any family members, if you've got any friends, I mean, Josiah changed my life. I encourage you, study him and tell other people about him. That's the cool thing about showing the Old Testament characters, that there is significance, that they show us so many powerful things. So share it with them. Share, them. share with them how they can right now, however old they are, start walking with the Lord. Let me pray for us. Well, Father, we just, uh, we're grateful for your word. We're so grateful that you have revealed yourself to us in a way that we can understand and comprehend because you are higher than the heavens. You are different than us. God, you are holy and majestic and powerful, God, and yet you created everything out of nothing just by the word of your voice, God. And that's so hard for us creatures to understand. And you then brought yourself so low as to put on human flesh to die for us on a cross, to raise again in victory, to give us life so that we might know you. You did all of that because you love us and that makes no sense to us. That is reckless abandonment, love, and yet it was very precise because you decided from the beginning to do it. And God, I just praise your name, God, that you love us so much that you would give us your word, allow us to see men and women in the Bible who are fallible and sinful and broken and yet they want to follow you, God, and we can learn things from their life. So as we've looked at Josiah, God, I do pray that we would evaluate in our lives. God, where in our life is maybe the things that are pointing us not towards you, but away from you, that are distracting us or straight up leading us directly away from you, God. Allow us to be humble, to tear our clothes in front of you and to say, God, I don't want that. I want to walk faithfully, not to the left or to the right, but I want to walk in the ways of Jesus Christ, my Savior. God, I pray that that is true for us, that you would reveal to us where maybe those places are. And then as we seek to purge that from our life, that we would build up structures. We would build habits that change us, that we would think more about you, that we'd bring people along for the ride. And that after that, God, we get to walk with you in freedom. God, that this life is a life of joy and freedom because we get to walk with the creator of the universe through the blood of Jesus Christ, by the Holy Spirit. God, we love you for this morning. We love you for this community. We are passionate about you. Allow us 
and help us in our unbelief in the places that are not of you. God, we pray all this in the wonderful name of Jesus and by the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen. All right, team, y'all have a great week. Join us at Cape Bridge if you'd like to.